Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two. I can't believe I'm doing this again. <laughs> um, if you're back, thank you so much for joining me again. I'm really excited about this episode. I've written down so much shit that I watched in the past just week alone. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to try. <laughs> I noticed on the last episode that I was speaking sort of fast and um, I definitely wanted to slow it down a little bit and stretch it out a little bit. So I'm going to try my best. Um, sometimes when I get anxious or I start getting really excited, I start talking very quickly and then it's really hard to understand me. So I'm going to try to keep it on an even keel for everybody listening. All right. So first of all, let's talk about the Righteous Gemstones, how there's only one freaking episode left for this whole season. And then we'll probably have to wait another five years or whatever for season three to start. Um, <laughs> so much happened in this episode. Okay, so we've got the motorcycle gang was finally unveiled. And what the hell? They're just random people. I so wanted it to be Game of Thrones as one of the people <laughs> under there. I really wanted it to be like Joe Jonas and the listens. And I was a little disappointed in that. So I guess it's the last episode that we're finally going to figure out who got the motorcycle gang to go after them. I've seen all different theories online where people think that Amber did it, um, that Amber and the listens did it, that just the listens did it, um, all different theories. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out in the end. Um, Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> It turns out is Harmon, who is Baby Billy's long forgotten son from way like decades before that he abandoned literally in a shopping mall with his mom. Um, <laughs> and he did have Baby Billy got a little bit of a redemption this episode. I mean, he got punched in the face, which I mean, rightfully so. It Like we've been going long enough with his shenanigans and bullshit that it, it was about time that somebody clocked him right in the face. And, um, but maybe going forward, Macaulay Culkin's going to be in the show more. Uh, we haven't seen an adult Harmon really besides that. Um, I mean, everyone sort of assumed he was around. There's been little mutterings. Uh, Judy revealed to Aunt Tiffany that um, they had paid for his schooling. So clearly he's got a good job. He's got a couch that's got cup holders in it. Um, and maybe we'll see the rest of his family now and we'll sort of start to branch out into more of the family. Uh, the other big thing that happened is that <laughs> Aunt Tiffany was put on a bus to go back to her dumb hill family. And Judy got BJ to stop the bus and jumped on the bus and saved Aunt Tiffany from becoming just another hill person. She's going to bring her back to her house and keep her like a little animal <laughs> and I guess going to help raise the baby. So, um, yeah, I guess we're going to see how that pans out. Also, I'm really curious to see what happens when baby Billy comes back. If he's going to bring Harmon back with him, if he's going to actually be a dad this time. I mean, I, I, everything in me says he's not, but I mean, Danny McBride really throws you some curveballs, So, I guess it could be pretty much anything at this point. Uh, so then the next thing that I watched, I kept seeing all these things online for inventing Anna, inventing Anna. 
And uh, this was a series on Netflix. It's got, um, God, I always fuck up her name. It's Anna Chomsky, the girl from My Girl and Veep, and is an amazing actress. And uh, it it's also got the girl from, shit, what is the name of that show? It's filmed over here. Um, it's, fuck. I know her name, and now I've forgotten it. Good call. Uh, Ozark, the girl from Ozark. Something with a J, I think. <laughs> Anyways, so I didn't know much about this real-life person. I obviously don't travel in circles in New York City, rich folk land. I don't, I've never been to the Hamptons. I don't know anything about that life. I don't own any super expensive clothing, et cetera, et cetera. So to learn about how this girl who was born in Russia, she moved to Germany, I guess, uh, as a child and went to school there for some years. She moved to Paris. She went to school in Paris. She got a job working for a fashion magazine is what I understand. And then she took a trip to New York with some coworkers and just decided to stay. She loved it so much. And um, so she was born, I guess, Anna Sorkin. And when she came to New York, she had a new name, which was Anna Delvey. And so she was born in 1991 and she was arrested in 2017. So she was really young and to be that young and to have defrauded so many people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars is sort of mind blowing. So essentially what she did was she came over here and pretended that she was the daughter of a, like a billionaire and she was an heiress and she did it so well and with so much confidence that she fleeced so many people out of money. She stayed at the best hotels. She went on yacht trips. She essentially stole a private jet and nothing would happen to her. It was, I mean, she was doing this for years until she finally got arrested in 2017 and she was convicted in 2019, but currently in 2022, she's out. So <laughs> she really, for everything that she did, for all the money that she took from people, she really didn't have that much of a punishment, I don't think. I mean, I guess having to wear an orange jumpsuit in Rikers is probably a pretty big punishment, especially for someone who is living the yacht life. But I mean, she never had a job really besides that fashion magazine that she worked for a few years. Um, one of the people in the series said she never got up before noon which, like, fuck you, first of all. Um, but so one of the older ladies on that she stole a lot of money from, uh, this lady had a credit card on file at a department store and had just asked Anna, hey, can you check these things out? Just sign for them for me. And because she had this account set up, Anna would go in and just say, oh, I'm getting this for her. I'm getting this for her. Oh, I'm getting this for her. And would just charge it to her account. And it, it was so much money. But because this lady was so incredibly rich, the credit card company just returned the money because it was fraud. But she didn't tell anybody. She didn't file a police report because it was embarrassing. And she didn't want anybody in society to know that she had been tricked out of so much money. And this went on and on and on. 
So she was essentially <laughs> like the aliens from Independence Day where they just go from place to place and they just use up the resources and then move on and nothing happens to them. And then she finally got caught. There's there's an episode and I don't know all the specifics of what really happened, but at one point she took her friends to Morocco with a cameraman because she wanted to film her own reality show. This is how far down this delusional path that she had gone at this point is that she she sort of thought she was living in her own reality show. And um, they got to Morocco and um, the hotel, which it, I looked up this hotel. It's insane. The, the suite that they stayed in was something like $8,000 a night in U.S. money a night. $8,000 a night. She has no money to her name. She has nothing. She has no job. And she really had the balls to fly to Morocco, book this hotel, go to this hotel and act like how dare the hotel challenge her for money. And one of her friends ended up paying with her own credit card so that they were allowed to leave. And they basically had to like flee from the hotel and get out of the country because they had been tricked by Anna. And um, I just, I can't even imagine that sort of situation. I think they said when all, when, when the, <clears throat> when the smoke had cleared, it was something like $72,000 from that trip that her friend had to charge to her credit card that, I mean, obviously Anna could never pay back. So, um, so she was just out and she used her company credit card <laughs> and I'm watching her do this and I'm going, oh my God, because I, I have a company credit card and I, I would never even put like a Coke on my company credit card without prior authorization. So to think that she was so desperate to get out of the country that her friend charged, you know, hundreds or I guess tens of thousands of dollars is bananas to me. So... <laughs> continuing down that path uh, it is a good show it's a little slow but it really it sucks you in um I only expected to watch like one or two episodes and I ended up sitting and just watching the whole thing because I was so in disbelief that this was a real story this actually happened to people um and then of course because I watched that Netflix was like well maybe you would like this also and kind of slid it across the table and it was the tender swindler so I have been married for like a decade and um, I, I never did the whole tender thing. I've never done the online meeting of people. I've always met people I've dated like through friends or in social settings. So I, I've got no idea about this world. And I'm not saying it's a bad world. I'm just saying it's different. And I am very ill-equipped to understand all the nuances about what you do and how you communicate and how long you know this person before you actually meet them in public, et cetera, et cetera. So The Tender Swindler, which is also on Netflix, is about a guy named um, Shimon Hyatt, and he is Israeli, and he changed his name to Simon Laviv. And he claimed that he was the son of an Israeli diamond mogul named 
something Lviv. <laughs> and um, so <laughs> he would go onto Tender and he would meet women um, like around Europe. So like Norway and Finland um, were, oh, and the Netherlands. Those were the main countries that they touched on in the documentary. But um, I mean, who knows how many people he he did this to. So what he would do is he would meet a girl on Tinder and he would take her out to a five-star hotel and they would be love bombed and, you know, sent flowers and all these messages and I'm falling for you and I want to be with you and I'm so busy, but I'm going to fly to this country just to see you. And um, <laughs> they, the girls would fall for it, you know, and it's one of those things where maybe I watch too much of the ID channel, but I, <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm going, literally, these are all red flags. Like you're so busy. You're the son of a billionaire. You're in the diamond business flying all over the world. <clears throat> How do you have time to come and see me? That it, <laughs> it's crazy, but they really felt like they were so special that he's dropping everything to be with them. Well, in reality, he's not the son of a diamond mogul and he doesn't have a job and he's not in a dangerous diamond business. He's just a con man. So these girls would get love bombed. They get pulled in. Um, they would get taken on trips and all this stuff. And then after like six weeks or eight weeks, he would send them messages and be like, uh, my enemies are after me and I need you to send me like $20,000 so I can escape. I can't use my credit cards. Um, I'm in a really dangerous position. I need your help. I need your help. If you love me, you'll help me. And these girls fell for it. And they would send him thousands of dollars. And what he would do then is he's taking that money that they're sending and he's using it to love bomb the next girl who's down the list and so on and so on. So all these girls end up being the stepping stone of funding his lifestyle. And when they would finally wise up and say, hey, you know, I'm not sending you any money anymore. He would threaten them and he would send them voicemails and texts like you don't know who you're messing with. And, you know, people could come and hurt you because they had they believed he was their boyfriend and they gave him information and they let him send flowers to their house. So he knew their address and he knew their families because they thought they were in a relationship with this man. So he had all this information and he would scare them into essentially staying quiet about the situation because he, if they report him to the police, then something bad could happen to them, you know? And but the whole thing is ridiculous because it's like <laughs> you've got dangerous enemies coming after you. Why don't you just call your billionaire dad? Like what? That doesn't even make sense to me. Who has ever heard of a billionaire's kid? I mean, besides like that one movie that had Michelle Williams in it where like a billionaire's family member gets like snatched and never comes back. You know, it, it's crazy to me. Like that doesn't happen. They have bodyguards, they've got security, they've got extensive staff who have signed NDAs. We've all seen Succession. There's like a million employees for every billionaire family. So it, 
it doesn't even make sense if you're looking at it outside of the box. But there's always these people who are just, they want to believe so badly that they're falling in love and this person loves them and cares about them and everything that they're saying is true. It was so unfortunate to watch and it, it was a little cringe watching it because I'm like, oh God, if I knew a guy for six weeks and he asked me to pawn my car to, <laughs> to send him money, I think I would have just blocked. I don't even think I would have replied. I would have just like blocked his number and then like <laughs> blocked him on social media and like, bye-bye. Sorry. I don't know you anymore. <laughs> but I mean, that's just me. Also, I would never pawn my car for even my closest friends. I love you, but I'm not pawning my car for you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I did see a trailer somewhere. I think I was watching television. I was It was television or YouTube. And I saw a commercial for a new Firestarter movie. So <laughs> I was a little like, oh, geez, here we go. But this one actually looks better than the first one. I mean, the first movie was in the mid-80s. I hope you've seen it. It's got Drew Barrymore. It's based on a Stephen King novel from, I want to say it was like the late 70s or early 80s. Stephen King wrote this book called Firestarter. And it's essentially like there's, oh God, how do I explain this movie? Okay, so... um. In the book, there's these two college students and they're poor, so they volunteer for the government to do these trials with like LSD. Okay, so they called it something specific, but it was very much like Project um, MK Ultra, where they were just like dosing people randomly. And um, hey, let's just see what happens to them when we give them these drugs. <laughs> so uh, the lady, Vicky, she became. Uh, tele, what's the word? Telepathic, I guess. So she could understand what you were thinking, right? That's telepathic. Okay. And then the, the boy college student, he became telekinetic, which I think is like where you can move things with your mind or no, 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 no. It was, that's the other way around. Because Andy was like the pusher, so he could like make people do things or like he could say, you're blind. And then all of a sudden they couldn't see things. Sorry, it's been a long time since I've seen this. I'm trying to like go through my memory banks. And um, so like in the, and they get married and they have a daughter. And her name is Charlene and they call her Charlie. And um, Charlie has the ability to just start fires. She can just start fires with her mind. And, um, <laughs> this is one of those movies where, um, I saw, I saw the film before I read the novel. So in my head, <clears throat> when I read the book, finally, like it really was Drew Barrymore to me. I always sort of thought of her as Firestarter. And, um, so in the story, it's like the government finds out about Charlie and they're, they want her, obviously, because she's the product of these drugs combined and she can do, like, she could be weaponized, essentially. So clearly we want her in our possession. So uh, the government chases her. Um, her mom is killed in the process by government agents and they flee and... 
there's like a huge standoff in the end. It's a really cool concept, actually. And watching the trailer for this, it does seem along the same vein. It seems like an equally sort of fun, like just cheesy horror movie, I guess. But it's got Zac Efron in it. Uh, he was literally the only person that I immediately recognized from the trailer. I don't know if anybody else is just, they're popular. They're just on a show I don't watch, but he was the one person that I did recognize even with his new face. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so that's coming out sometime this year. So I'm, I'm obviously going to watch it when it comes out because I'm going to have to compare it to the first one and I'm gonna have to watch the first one over and I'll probably reread the book and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, it looks really good. So uh, I've also seen The King's Man, which is on HBO currently and is the product of Matthew Vaughn, who did the other King's Men, Men movies. And I was not excited about watching it. I will tell you that because the first one is amazing. It's so awesome. It's so fun. The action is great. It's hilarious. Um. And then the second one came along and it was beyond <laughs> disappointing. It was so awful. Like, I would just like to pretend like that movie never happened. It was so bad. The plot was awful. The action was stupid. It just, they went too cheesy and they should have stayed sort of in the same vein as the first one where it was like just a fun action movie. Like, you don't need to go crazy. It doesn't need to be over the top. Just, you know, stay in sort of the middle, middle even Steven sort of lane, right? So I had just no expectations for this movie whatsoever. And it wasn't terrible, I will have to say. So it starts in like 1900. And it's the backstory of how the Kingsman came to be. And um, so the main guy, Ralph Rafe, Rafe, right? Rafe Fiennes. Um, he is like this very rich lord type of person and um he's working for i guess the red cross and he visits um south africa with his wife and son uh, only child and um there's it's during a war that's going on in south africa at the time and his wife gets taken out by a sniper and before she dies she asks her husband like i don't want our son to ever be involved in a war so of course, obviously, now that she said that, her son's got to be involved in a war. So um, it shows. So now we flash forward and it's like right before World War One. And um, Ray Fine's character is uh, his name is Orlando, which I thought was I don't know. It's so weird to me. I don't think of rich Englishmen being named Orlando, but cool, whatever. Um, <laughs> so Dijman Hanzu who is like in everything now for some reason, like every, I feels like every movie that I watch, he's in, a, he's in there somewhere. And, uh, he's sort of like, uh, his right hand man, his, uh, like his valet, his, um, butler, his friend, his, uh, like everything. It's like his, he's his bestie, but he works for him. And, uh, he's got other staff members. And it turns out that, they've sort of put together this organization where um, his maid, her name is Polly in the movie, and I, I don't know who she is in real life. I didn't recognize her from anything. 
But uh, she starts sort of this underground organization of uh, maids where (laughs) – so they kind of explain it, how, you know, when there's secret meetings going on, the staff are still permitted to come in and, like, bring food or tea or whatever. They're still coming and going throughout anything that's going on. So they hear everything. So they create this underground organization of staff members from all these dignitaries to find out like what's going on and what's being planned. And um, meanwhile, on the side, there's um, the bad guys, obviously, who are trying to, (laughs) I guess. So from what I understand, the baddest bad guy who is named the shepherd because he has a bunch of goats on top of a mountain um, he, and you don't see his face until the very end. You have no idea who he is. I thought it was David Tennant. It is not. Um, he is Scottish and he wants like Scotland to take over, uh, England is what I got from the movie. I still don't really understand, but cool, whatever. It's just a movie. Uh, so he's got all his like bad guys or whatever, his henchmen in the ears of all the dignitaries, So you've got like Germany, you've got Russia, and then you've got England. They were all like related to each other. And so we're trying to take this country down. We're trying to take this country down. And, um, you know, the Archduke gets assassinated and then the war starts. And um, Orlando's son, who is not supposed to be involved in war, decides he's going to war anyway. And, uh, And then, you know, shit hits the fan. But, uh, yeah, basically the end of the movie is the, the start of the Kingsman where they buy the tailor shop and they turn it into this secret spy headquarters to be able to keep an eye on the world and be badass assassin type people. So, um, (laughs) if you watched the second Kingsman and you were severely disappointed, Maybe give this one a try, like if you've got nothing else to do and nothing else to watch. I mean, it didn't really (laughs) provide anything positive to my life, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. So it's not like I'm asking for those two hours back. Um, It was okay. It was fine. You know, like we'll give it maybe a B, B or a C. We'll say it's a C. Okay, we'll say C plus. How about that? Okay, then, um, so I don't have very much to say about this next um, series. I'm not very far in it. It's called Archive 81 on Netflix. I'm just like crazy about Netflix this week. And um, so uh, I had no idea what this was about. I just saw it was sort of a thriller horror series. And I thought like, okay, I like Stranger Things. Let's do this. So after we're watching it, I started you know, Googling a little bit. And um, according to Jujal, it's based on a podcast of the same name. And it's got sort of a found footage feel with like (laughs) some Rosemary's Baby thrown in with some like VHS and, you know, rec, uh, paranormal activity. I don't even know like what you want to call it. So basically there's um, a guy and his name is Dan. He lives in New York City, and for a living, he restores restores old footage, like old tapes, and um, he gets uh, tapped by a man in some secret organization 
to uh, restore a whole bunch of tapes that were recorded by a girl in the 90s in New York City in a building that ended up burning down. So the tapes have a lot of damage, but they're surprisingly really well intact considering the whole place burned to the ground. Um, but he's not allowed to do it in New York City. He has to go to this like secret bunker in like the Catskills, which I've never been to, but it looks like a terrible place to go visit. And it really does look like a bunker. Like this house looks creepy as fuck and really old. And like nobody's lived there for a thousand years. And uh, so he starts, you know, slowly, like he takes out the first tape and puts it in. And um, you're, you're finding out more about him as the show goes on. So I'm only like two episodes in, but I found out that his family actually died in a fire. And he's watching the the first tape recorded by this girl in the 90s and um her dad or his dad dan's dad who died in the fire is on the tape and so then he's like wait this wasn't on purpose like they didn't just reach out to me because i do this for a living they did this because this my dad's a part of this so he's trying to figure out like who this girl is and she's basically doing a report on this building um she says is like a college report But then you find out in the second episode that she's doing it because it was the last place her birth mom was recorded to have lived. And she wants to find out about her birth mom and where she is and why she like essentially just dumped her right after she was born. And um, there's a part where Dan's like watching the footage and it starts getting um, like shaky uh, and like starts going in and out. And then all of a sudden, like, you see sort of an alien <laughs> creature type face in the static. I don't I, I don't really know how to to explain it. Besides, it kind of looks like the Mars attacks alien a little bit. Um, and then or maybe like, a, OK, we'll say like <laughs> a mix between that and the Independence Day aliens, because now they're in my head, too. Um, just a creepy alien face. And so and she. While she's staying in this apartment, you know, doing this report on the building, she can hear chanting at night. So she goes down into the basement one night with her video camera and the entire building, like everybody who's there is in the basement, like list, like chanting or singing. And they're all staring at like this creepy alien statue sort of set up like, like a sweet little nativity scene on like a pedestal. (laughs) except they're in a creepy New York city basement, just in chairs lined up. Like they're at an AA meeting, but you know, they're worshiping some sort of creepy alien. And, uh, that's as far as I've gotten in the show. It's really weird. I don't know what to think about it. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really into it so far. It, it's one of those where you sort of like jump and you're like, Ooh, I don't know about this. You know, the found footage definitely gives it a bigger jump scare, you know, because you feel like it's happening to you as you watch it. It's sort of happening through your eyes, I guess, is the way to explain it. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm really anxious to keep watching it. And um, I'm not going to be able to watch it tonight. So hopefully I can watch another couple episodes tomorrow. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about this week is the brand new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that is playing on Netflix. So I don't know if you've ever seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, 
they're super cheesy and super gory. And they're just sort of dumb horror movies. They're supposed to sort of stay along that line. Um, it's primarily focuses on the Sawyer clan who are just a bunch of murderers. Apparently they are like, um, they were butchers is from what I understand. I mean, I've seen all the movies, but it's like sporadic and they sort of run together with other things. You know, you've got like Rob Zombie who clearly lifted the entire idea of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies for his uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. I mean, he pretty much like copied and pasted and just like changed a few things so the teacher wouldn't know that he copied and pasted. But it was pretty much the same thing. It's like a creepy, crazy family who likes to murder because they can. And that's about it. Like, there's no rhyme or reason. We don't really know why they're like this. We don't get a whole lot of backstory about their family. Um, so this one, it was awful. Okay. I wanted to like, I, I love slasher films. The, the newest Friday the 13th is like one of the best remakes I've seen in a long time. It's be way better than like the Halloween remakes or continuations that are just, just awful, awful, awful. All the, they just get worse as they go on. Um, so I wanted to like this. I wanted to enjoy it. And uh, it's got Elsie Fisher, who was, um, she was on the Castle Rock series on Hulu. If you've never seen Castle Rock, if you are a Stephen King fan, oh my God, you've got to watch this. There's, it's so good. There's two seasons, Castle Rock. I don't know why they never continued it. It was just amazing. If you're a Stephen King fan, this is like the epitome of awesome. It's creepy and weird. Anyways, so she's in the second season of Castle Rock, and she played the daughter. So now she's in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre playing the sister of uh, a girl who, with her business partner, are buying an abandoned town in Texas and they're going to sell it off for pieces and make a ton of money, right? So they, they're driving to this abandoned town in a Tesla, first of all. What? And they, in very <laughs> classic horror movie fashion, they stop at a gas station in literally the middle of nowhere. Like there's nothing. There's only cows and like tumbleweeds for a thousand miles, which is so weird to me. Like there's not even a dollar general. There's no Walmart. There's no McDonald's. There's nothing. There's literally nothing out here, just this gas station. And for some reason at these gas stations, you can always pump gas into the car before paying, which I don't understand either. I'm like, what year is this? Did we go back in a time machine? Are there actually still places like this in the United States? I would love to know if there's a gas station literally in the middle of nowhere that looks like this because I just, I completely believe it's made up just for horror movies. Um, so they stop there. Of course, there's a creepy guy who works there. Of course, there's like a creepy redneck guy who comes up in, you know, the lifted truck with like the boots and the gun and very stereotypical, blah, blah, blah. They get to the town and of course, nobody's there except there happens to be an orphanage in the town, which also, what year is this? There's no orphanages here anymore that I know of. Um, and uh, they walk into this orphanage. Um, so this is the two business partners, right? 
and there's an old lady and she's still living there. Like, what are you, what are you doing in my house? And they're like, no, this is ours. We own it. We bought the whole town. And uh, the police show up and there's sort of like a skirmish back and forth. And while this is all going on, like this big hulking figure like comes to the top of the stairs, like doesn't say anything. And she's like, oh, that's one of my boys. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, this is like the setup for Leatherface. And um, so during this whole skirmish thing, right, the lady has a heart attack, I guess, presumably. Like she vomits and then collapses. So something really bad health-wise happened to her. So uh, they put her in this police vehicle because there's nothing. I mean, the town's abandoned. There's no hospital around here. We got to like shoot her to the next town in East Jesus Bumblefuck nowhere. And um, <laughs> so while they're in this. So, OK, the the second business partner, his name is Dante and his girlfriend decides she's going to ride in the van to make sure the old lady's OK. And the big hulking figure gets in. He's going with them. The police go. Nobody is like asking any questions about who any of these people are. It's just like, yeah, total strangers get in the car. Let's all go. So, of course, while they're riding down the road, um, the old lady dies. And she's like, tells the big hulking figure who hasn't said a goddamn word this entire time. Like, don't go in my room. Be a good boy. And then she dies. Blech. And he loses his shit. He completely flips out and he kills both of the police officers. And um, when he kills the police officer driving, obviously the car veers off the road and runs into some farm machinery and they crash. And um, the girlfriend who is in the car, you know, hits her head, obviously, and passes out. When she comes to, she's still in the car and she can see in like the side mirror that the hulking figure guy, Leatherface, is like cutting the face off of the old lady and he puts it on. So <laughs> while he's doing this, the, the police officer who was driving comes back alive. Like apparently he was not dead. He was just maimed a little bit. He's not quite dead yet. You know, he doesn't want to get on the cart. Just, he's just going to go for a walk. He feels happy. Everything is great. And she's sort of like, shut the fuck up. There's like a guy trying to like fucking cut somebody's face off over there. And he's still like groaning and making noise. Well, <laughs> Leatherface comes over and literally like just kills the fuck out of him. And she's like trying to play dead. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like with her eyes closed, like she drew some X's over her eyes and like had her tongue sticking out like, uh, I'm dead. Well, obviously, even though he hasn't said a word this whole time, we know he's not stupid and he walks around and he kills the fuck out of her too. So then he's got to, of course, find his way back to the town, which obviously they didn't drive that far because he was able to get there in a very reasonable amount of time. So also in this story, uh, they did like a throwback. So the very first movie, the very, very, very first Texas Chainsaw Massacre was done in 1974. And there was one survivor from that movie. Her name is Sally. And, um... The actress who actually played Sally in the original movie, um, she died in 2014. So they could not have her in this movie, but they did talk about her character and they had a really, um, really good Irish actress play her in the new movie. And basically she had spent her entire life um, trying to find Leatherface, which is bananas to me because I'm like, okay, in 1974, 
You were literally at his house. So what do you mean you can't find him? You were at his fucking house. Like, where did he go? He couldn't have gone far. He's like a huge hulking man with like a fake face. How do you miss that? And like he had a whole family in the 70s. So what happened to them too? Like none of that is explained. It's just like him, this one guy. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, more things happen. Leatherface comes back to town and starts like, you know, just seeking revenge on everybody. And that means getting his chainsaw out of a wall, like punching through a wall, getting the chainsaw out and just cutting everybody to pieces. Um, the redneck guy shows up. Apparently he was a good guy. He got killed as fuck. Uh, you find out Elsie Fisher, who was the, the sister, um, she had survived a school shooting, which I love that they had to throw that in that, you know, she had this like survivor's guilt and she was terrified of guns, but for some reason was not having any sort of PTSD when it came to Leatherface straight up murdering people. Like she was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's do it. Even though they had completely made her out to be terrified and scared like 20 minutes earlier in the movie. Uh, this bus of investors comes, <laughs> Leatherface gets on the bus and like annihilates everybody with the chainsaw. Like it just got so ridiculous. It was so fucking stupid. The plot went absolutely nowhere. Um, there was a survivor from this movie, obviously, you know, there was a survivor in the first one. They're really good about keeping that one survivor. And it's, <laughs> I like to guess, I try to like guess in the beginning of the film when it starts, I have that whole Scooby-Doo um, mentality from what I grew up with. So it's like, I want to find out who the bad guy is and I want to guess who's going to survive the movie. Usually I can guess the bad guy pretty early on because they make it really obvious. But um, <laughs> but sometimes they throw you for a curveball about who's going to survive. Um, but anyways, this this movie was so bad and I've seen so many people who are like, no, it was great. And I'm like, it had no plot. Like there was no plot whatsoever. It was literally just give creepy man a chainsaw, have him straight up fucking murder everybody. The end it was like the plot had so many fucking holes. Why are there only two police officers for like a thousand years? Like where do they live? So there's like the gas station guy and two police officers and then this fucking orphanage. So there's five people in like a hundred mile radius. Is that real? Like, is this Tremors? There's got to be more people in this. There were more people in the town of Tremors from what whatever year that was in the 80s. Okay, this is 2022. There are people closer. There have to be. I know Texas is huge as fuck, but I, I do not believe that there were only five like <laughs> people four men and one woman living in this entire town. And they had no idea that one of these people was Leatherface. Come on. That doesn't make any sense. So severely disappointing. Unless you're like in a really bad mood or PMSing and you just want to watch people get hacked to death um, in awful ways. Like even the survivor, Sally, who gets horrifically murdered. It's so stupid. Like he puts the chainsaw in her and then he like lifts her up and throws her into garbage. And it's like she did not survive the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be thrown into a pile of garbage. Really, that was so disrespectful to her character. Um, it's that sort of imagery where it's like, come on, man, really? You could have done her better than that. Um, so anyways, but 
like a few years ago, there was another Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was sort of like, um, I guess, a continuation. And it told a little more backstory about the Sawyer clan and what happened to them and how they worked at a meat factory. I would definitely recommend that one over this one. It was just the plot line was better. The storyline was better. It was a lot more interesting, but it still had a lot of gore. So if you're looking for that sort of like, <laughs> I want to watch a shit movie, but like a good shit movie, if you know what I mean, definitely look for the one a few years ago. Um, it's about a girl who inherits her grandmother that she didn't know about um, home. And it turns out she's like Grandma Sawyer or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's about it. I think that I think that may be it for now. <laughs> I know I tried to cram in a lot and now I'm looking and I realize I've just been talking for about 45 minutes. So I think that's about good. And I'll let you guys go. And hopefully you will be back next week when I've got some more crazy stories to talk about. All right. Thank you. And uh, definitely check me out on social media and come by my website, send me some emails, recommend stuff for me to watch. I love recommendations. Uh, hopefully I will like them. <laughs> so anyways, thank you for listening and I'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for joining me and be sure to check out the podcast on social media. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.